0: Good to see you all. I'm Pastor Chris and some of you are like, who are you? You've been gone for so long. Uh, I was gone for the month of July and it was kind of a working vacation, uh, but it was great to spend some time with my family. But I'm so glad to be back and I'm glad that while I was gone, you had uh, some awesome preaching. I mean, Shane, uh, wow, that was really great. And, and Stephen and Ebenezer. I, I will say this, um, I'm a little bit miffed at Shane. Um, he slandered me the first week And I think I need to just clear the air, because uh, Shane said he's been begging me for nine and a half years to to preach, and that is just, that's just a lie. So he's a liar, and I'm rebuking him in the name of Jesus, and I'm asking him to publicly apologize. So... uh, Love Shane otherwise, but that was absolutely wrong. But I am so glad to actually be back with you and to open the Word of God with you and to preach. And we're uh, excited to head into the fall here uh, together and see what God has in store for us. Got some great things planned, a wonderful new series on the gospel that we're going to start in September. And uh, just sort of unpacking what it is, what it means, and, and all the ramifications to us. And I am so, so excited. Uh, about that and helping us grow in that, okay? Well, let's grab our Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter three. Proverbs three. And you can kind of just keep your finger there. We'll look at some other verses, but um, primarily we'll we'll look at, at some many things that are that are contained in Proverbs 3 for our time together this morning. So Proverbs is this book that is filled with what we call wisdom, right? The book the, the Bible's all wisdom, but it's it falls within an area called wisdom literature, which is meant to uh, if if you will impart wisdom to us. And so uh, I want to make sure we sort of know what we're talking about when we say wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is not being smart. We talked about this several weeks ago. Wisdom doesn't mean you're a genius, right? There are people who are geniuses who are not wise, there are people who have made lots of money who are not wise. There are very powerful people who are not wise. And all of those things could apply to this election cycle, right? There's a lot of really smart, powerful, wealthy people who are not wise people. So, so, so wisdom isn't something you go and get a college degree in wisdom. Oh, that there was such a thing, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? Like four years later, you're done and I got a degree in wisdom and I'm wise, right? But it doesn't happen that way. In fact, you don't even have to have a college degree. You don't even have to have a high school education. You can be wise. Like there is a, the Bible promises us that, that we can be very, very wise because wisdom is a gift from God. So we looked several weeks ago at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, where we read that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So hear me because this is absolutely crucial. There is no wisdom without God. And I don't mean like, like God has wisdom. and I mean, if you don't love and worship and serve God, you cannot be wise. So I don't care how much the world thinks of certain people, and oh, they have such profound things to say. Without Jesus, they are not wise. Gandhi was not a wise man, biblically speaking. He may have been profound. He may have sense of helpful things, but the Bible would never look and over his face put the label wise, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So so let's talk about what is wisdom then? How how would the Bible help us to find? Let me give you a couple of definitions. Here's the first one. Do we have it? Wisdom is the art and skill, there we go, of playing in harmony, Shane you have to punish him, and rhythm <laughs> with how God created the world. So that's the, that's the first idea. It's just, just God created, God's smart, God did all this, and so wisdom is us lining up our lives, learning, by the way, it's not something we're just born with, it's a gift, and we learn and we grow in this, so it's this, it's this, this art, this skill of learning to play in harmony and rhythm with, with what God is playing, if you will. But Let's look at another definition, I think this, maybe this will help as well. Wisdom is learning, again, how to navigate through my complex world like Jesus would if he were me. That's helpful. So, so now I'm looking and saying, I've, there's all kinds of things I don't know what to do with. I don't know how to navigate these relationships. I don't know how to navigate this, this, this world that I'm in and all this complexity. But so I've got to look and say, how would Jesus do it if he were me? See, Jesus navigated all of life with wisdom. He is wisdom. Right. In fact, Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 says, In him, that is Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Right? He, he, he has it all. He, he has everything you could ever want when it comes. So, so we come to Christ, and here he is, and he's walking in wisdom. And he says, Look, follow me, listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. I made all this. I know what I'm doing. I know how everything works. I mean, everything about everything. I'm ridiculously smart, I'm unfathomably wise. And I can help you with your life. I can step into your life in every part of it. So that's what we've been showing you these last few weeks. Do you know that Jesus can step into your emotional world? Jesus can help you with humility. Jesus can help you with how you talk. And wants to. He wants to step into all these spheres of your life. And today, specifically, what I want you to see is that Jesus wants to step in. Jesus has much to say. The Bible, Proverbs, has much to say about the issue of your money. But I don't want to start with money. And here's why. Because I think when we start talking about money, if we're not careful, we can miss the forest for the trees, right? We can, we can become sort of myopically focused on this one thing without seeing the bigger picture. And some of you think, well, it's all you preachers ever talk about. Well, uh, if you think that, then you haven't listened to Foothill Church very long because we, 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 we talk about it during offerings, but this is something we, frankly, we should teach more on because this is such a vital part of our relationship. This is such a vital part of our discipleship is what we do with the resources God has given to us. And so I, wanna, I want you to see that this is just part of a larger story. This is part of a bigger picture. Yes, the trees are the money in some sense and humility and speech and all these things. But there's a bigger, bigger overarching principle that I want you to see. What is the big story that's going to help us get down into the, the, the forest that's going to help us get down to the trees? Well, you're in Proverbs chapter 3, so go to verse 5, because here it is, and I would say this is, if you will, what the Bible wants for all of your life. This is, this is kind of, if the Bible would say, here's one thing we want for you, it would be chapter 5, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, and let's look at what it says, and we'll kind of double click on some of these words and, and, and look at what they mean. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now stop right there. It says... Trust. What does the Bible want for you? It wants you to trust. But what does it mean to trust? Well, we talked several weeks ago about how Hebrew poetry, very often you'll read line one and you'll go, what does that mean? And then line two and go, oh, line two actually helps me understand line one. So look at it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So there's a contrast, a contrasting parallelism that's happening here. On the one hand saying, Trust in God. And what is trust in God? Well, it's the exact opposite of leaning on your own understanding. It's a question of where do you lean? Who do you lean on? That's a great question for you to ask yourself. Who, what? Who do I trust? Because I promise you, you will not hear anywhere outside of the Bible any voice in the culture saying to you, trust in the Lord with all your heart. What's it going to tell you? Trust yourself. Go with your gut. Believe in you. Right? And you will just see remarkable things happen if you'll just follow your heart. Like, how many times are we going to hear that lie and keep buying into it? How many messes do we have to make of our life to realize that's just bull? That's ridiculous. How many marriages have to be wrecked? by a man or a woman or both following their heart? How many careers have to go in the toilet? How many prison cells have to be filled? How many marriages end in wreck and ruin, friendships ruin, careers, finances disintegrate? How many things have to go bad in our lives for us to realize that this follow-our-heart junk just doesn't work? And so here's the Bible coming along and saying, trust in the Lord. Trust Him. Trust Him lean on him not yourself see how different how different would life be what what is it who is it asking you to lean on okay like 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 how big is this god that it's saying lean on this I, I, I don't think we can get much bigger than what paul says in romans chapter 11 verse 33 oh the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of god how unsearchable are his judgments how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the lord anybody ever plumbed the depth of god's mind i'm all the way at the bottom man i figured it all out or who has been his counselor god come here get on my couch I'm going to help unravel your terrible childhood. Or, or God turning to you and saying, Chris, help me. I don't know what to do. I need advice. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? But What? You think you have anything you can give to God that he hasn't already given to you? For from him and through him and to him are all things, to him glory forever and ever. Amen. This is, this is the same God that, that the Proverbs saying, lean on this one. This one with unsearchable wisdom, this inscrutable ways. I mean, a guy who could never, a guy who never said, I, I, I don't know, who never was puzzled by anything. Lean on this one. Okay, but how? Like, like, like what, what kind of leaning should it be? It says, trust in the Lord with all your hearts. That's helpful, that's that's hurtful in some ways because he's saying, you know what I don't want? It's not, hey, you take your part that you feel like you can manage, Chris, and I'll take this part. And all your heart, that's out of the out of the heart flow the wellsprings of life. Everything in my life comes from my heart. He's saying, I don't want you to cordon off any part of your life from me, Chris. I want all of your heart. This is why the psalmist prays, oh, God, unite my heart to fear your name because the propensity, the the if you will, the, 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 the natural inclination of my heart part is to be divided. I I, I want to keep this for myself and I'll give you the spiritual parts, God. I'll give you church on Sundays and I'll I'll, I'll give you some worship time and I might pray at night over a meal and there's some spiritual things I do and I might read my Bible, but you know, in the practicalities of everyday life, I think I'm wiser. I think I'm better and I think I've got this under control. Oh, what are we missing? What are we missing? When he says, I'll step into your this is God. This is God going, lean on me, trust me. I will step into the spheres of your life. Do it with all your heart. God, I'm all in. God, you know better than I do. You know better about every even the parts that I feel like I'm pretty good at. You know better. Help me, God. Then he says this, lean not on your own understanding. And, and then look at the next part. In all your ways acknowledge him. You know, you know literally what it says? It says in all your ways know him. Now, I don't say that to tell you I think I know Hebrew better than the translators. Here's why I want to point this out. Because I think in the way we use the word acknowledge, that could go bad for us. In other words, I, I can say things like, you know, um, I acknowledge somebody at church that day. The teacher acknowledged the student. The the uh, the, the university acknowledged the gift from an alumni. Uh, the president acknowledged the soldier in the room for his service. You see what I mean? That's like okay, you're there. I see you. No, he says, don't don't just see God like oh yeah yeah. It's know him. Know him in every sphere of your life. You know, God wants to be known in your marriage. He wants to be known. He wants you to know him in, in your parenting. He wants you to know him in your job. He wants you to know him in your friendships. He wants you to know him in your leisure time. He wants you to know him in everything. Trust him, lean upon him. That's amazing. He's saying, I want to come in, and I want to come into this this area of your finances. And then what will happen, God? What will happen if you step into this world? If I I trust, if I lean upon you, if I acknowledge you, if I know you, he says, look at this last part of verse 6. He will make straight your paths. How many of us feel like we are just zigzagging, and we don't, like, where are we going? But you know what that word straight could literally be translated at? Is, is smooth. We talk about our lives as rocky. Man, I feel like I'm on a roller coaster. I feel like I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like life is so hard. And he says, I'll smooth it out. Which means, by the way, that the opposite is also true. That if we refuse to lean on God, if we refuse to trust him and we lean on our own understanding, then guess what? Let's not be surprised when life is more rocky than it should be. Let's not be surprised when areas of our lives seem out of control. They seem hard. They seem like, I, 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 can't, I can't seem, there, there, there's no managing this. I don't know what to do. I'm so confused and in turmoil. There's no peace in this area of my life, whatever. That's what he's saying, man. I'll come along and I will make those paths straight. Now, see, I think most of us, by the way, we read Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. A lot of you haven't memorized. And, and you'd say, I believe it. <laughs> right? I believe God is incomprehensibly wise. I believe I can trust in him. I believe I can trust him with all my life. Right? I'll acknowledge him, and, and he'll direct my paths. I, I, I've seen that be true. I know that to be true. The problem is, is that we, it, it's sort of when the rubber meets the road, we don't actually do it. We don't actually trust him. We cordon off these areas of our life and say, well, I trust him, but not in all my ways. Do you? Like, do a little inventory. What are those areas where you're like, I really don't want God to have a part of this? Or I think I've pretty much got this one under control. And I, I kind of ignore, I sort of t- turn my ears off when, when this subject comes up because I, I'm okay. Do you trust Him? See, see okay, and, and let's be real specific. Do you trust God in the area of your finances, in the area of money? Like, who, who are you more apt to listen to? The Word of God or Warren Buffett? Seriously. Like somebody goes, I want to give you really, really good investment advice. Read this Bible or go listen to Warren Buffett. Most people would say Warren Buffett. No, no question. He's really smart with money. So God is not incomprehensibly wise when it comes to this. So, so Proverbs and the Bible has a lot to say. In fact, I can't tell you everything the Proverbs has to say about money this morning. We will run out of time. We probably still will. So, so I have to give you some broad principles, okay, of, of what you're going to see. And I hope you'll read through the book of Proverbs and, and you'll see this because you're going to see way more than I'm even telling you today. So let me give you what I think are, some, are six crucial principles that you need to know about God and money Okay, and here's the the first one. God is not anti-money, he's not anti-possessions, he's not anti-wealth. Now some of us believe this. Some of us believe that, wait a second, Chris, if I give God control, if I actually acknowledge and know him in this area, I know what he's going to do. He's going to make me live out of my car or I'm going to have to go on the foreign mission field and give up everything. God doesn't want me to be happy. God just wants to take away everything I have. He doesn't want me to have any money. Or we think of money and, and God the same way we kind of think of sex and God, that in, in, in many ways, God just sort of looks at it as kind of dirty. In fact, the, the King James actually uh, uh, talks about money as filthy lucre. We don't talk that way anymore. Maybe we should, but, but th- that's kind of how we think, right? So, so the more money I have, the more dirty I am. And and so God kind of, it's sort of this necessary evil in the world, but that's just not how the Bible talks about The Bible says, no, money Money is a gift. Money is good. There's some great things that can be done with your money. And in fact, I would say this, business people, hear me. I think God wants you to strive to be successful, as successful as you possibly can. Now, i I'm gonna, I'm gonna help explain that, but here's what I mean. Here in Genesis chapter three or ch- chapter two, God says, go, Adam and Eve, go out. Here's the earth, fill it, subdue it, right? I, I go out and tame it. There's all this untapped potential. I want you, my people, to go out there and I want you to be a blessing in this world. I want you to provide jobs for people. I want you to do all sorts of good in this world and part of that is making money. Part of that is your subduing of the earth. Part of that is you taming creation for the glory of God. That's a good thing. God doesn't hate your money. God's not anti your car, your house, or any of those things. What 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 he's, what he's after is that we don't do what Paul said in Romans chapter one, that we not take the created thing and worship it above the one who created that thing. Every created thing, money, jobs, all these things are meant to push past those things and go, God, you're glorious. Thank you. So so that leads me to the second point you're going to see and that, that is what God is anti is idolatry. This is what God doesn't want. God doesn't want you to be an idolater. In other words, here's what I mean. The Bible says a lot about money because the Bible knows that of, of maybe all things, this is one of those temptations that most often hijacks the human heart. It's hijacked mine before. Right, we begin, what happens? We begin to go, hey, I need to to amass more money. And so what what are we doing when we do that? What makes me secure is my 401k. What makes me secure is the amount of my possessions. What makes me secure is the balance in my checkbook. All those things. That's where my security lies. And so so look what what he says in, in Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall is his imagination. Now, isn't this true? I'm not, by, by the way, this is not, if, you, if you are rich, like everybody in this room, if you drove a car here by the world standard, you're rich. So just put your name in there, right? It's not talking about people that you deem rich. It's not Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. This is you. And what happens to us very often is we look and say, man, God's given me all these resources, and this is where my security comes. And the writer of Proverbs steps into that space and says, no, do you understand that if that's where you find your security, that's a delusion. It's a a high wall in your imagination. And every, I mean, how many people in this room learned that in 2008 when you thought you had so much and the economy crashed and now it's gone? How many times do we have to get sick to realize this money can't purchase its way out of this? This is not my strong tower. God is my strong tower. Money cannot do what I'm hoping. It will on. only God can do that. Do we have Hebrews thirteen five? Keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Money never said that to you. Money said, I will sprout wings and fly away. Only Jesus says, I'll be with you. I will never leave you. I will never, no matter how much money is in your bank, I'll be your strong tower. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. The third thing, and I think... Proverbs teaches us that we shouldn't make wealth the aim of our life. Okay, so turn over to Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23, and this is what verses 4 and 5 says. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to, to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Okay, so so here's what happens. When you you begin to um, idolize money, money becomes your God. Money stands in front of God, and that's where you find your security. Then guess what? Every person in this room is desperate for security. You are desperate for protection. You are desperate for something to protect you in the day of adversity. Well, if that thing is money, then guess what you're going to do? You're going to go full bore, all out, to make sure you get as much as you can, as quick as you can. And and here the writer of Proverbs is saying, don't toil to do that. You know what toil is? Toil isn't just working. Toil is unproductive working. Toil is spinning your wheels. It's thinking you're producing something of value, but it's just toil. You're not producing anything. But money deceives us into believing that we have something. We actually have something that's vaporous. So, the man, Chris, your, your 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 retirement account is growing. See, isn't that doesn't that make you secure? I mean, see see the, the 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 car that you whatever. All these things, see these things that are surrounding you. This is what makes you secure. And so we begin to believe that money is telling us the truth. The Bible's not true. And here's the writer of Proverbs saying, man, don't do that. Because guess what? You're going to find out that money will not do what you hope it'll do when you're sick, when the kids rebel, when deflation happens, when your marriage is on the rocks because you have sold everything up the river in order to gain more and more and more. And now your, your family is in the tank. Now your life is in the tank because this became the aim of your life. Don't do that. Number four It's going to teach us that our motives and the means of acquiring wealth matter. This is all about acquiring wealth. So, So that is that it's good. Like you should go out business people. You should go out young people. And you should strive to be successful. There's nothing wrong with that. But know this. How you do it and the motives that drive the why of doing it is really what matters to God. This is the most fundamental thing because God is always looking at your heart. What are the motives behind it? See money is never the problem. Money's morally neutral. Your house is morally neutral. God I'm not sure cares too much about the car that you drive. Many of but the, the issue's issue is going to be why? Why that car? Why that house? Why in that neighborhood? What were you chasing, Chris? Was it status? Like did you, did that make you feel more successful? Did that make you feel more secure? That's the motives, but the means. I mean, the means of acquiring. So, so you're gonna, like, like several weeks ago, we looked at verses one, chapter one, verse one through seven, which is kind of the preamble. But you get to verse eight of chapter one. You don't have to turn there, but, but right out of the gate. So, so the first thing the father wants to teach the son in the book of Proverbs is he's gonna warn him about two things that will overthrow his life and his worship of God. And guess what those two things are? The first is easy money. And the second is easy sex. Now, isn't it interesting, by the way, that it goes in that order, too? Because here's the thing. If you will overthrow financial integrity, you are one step away from overthrowing sexual integrity. And one very often leads to the other. And the writer of Proverbs, Solomon and others, are saying, God to us through the writer of Proverbs, saying, Man, I want you, I want the means by which you acquire money is as important as the money that you acquire. More important. So so it's going to warn us against things acquiring money by unjust gain. So, so let me show you some verses. Look at, look at Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. God loves diligence. God never has anything good to say about laziness. Look at the next one. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes to poverty. poverty. No get-rich-quick schemes. No trying to just hurry up and get rich. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. I don't want it coming to you through lying lips. I don't, I don't want you to cheat on your taxes. I don't want you to cheat your employer. I don't want you to cheat your employees. I don't want you to charge more than you should. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. You know the way I'll make it? I'll, I'll pray, I'll, I'll put businesses that, that poor people. You know, by the way, the, the, the lottery, get rich quick scheme is, is so profoundly um, hurtful to those living in poverty. They're the ones who buy most of the tickets. God hates that. That's preying on people. God says, I, I love diligence. I love hard work. He's not saying work for your salvation. He's saying, but my people ought to work hard. That, that There should be no get-rich-quick schemes. There, there, there should be no defrauding of other people. When you say you're going to put in eight hours of work and get paid for eight hours of work, you put in eight hours of work, you don't put in six. You actually give back what your employer says. You don't cheat. You don't sell things for a higher price because you can kind of pad the account and make a little bit more and the customer will never know. The people of God don't act that way. And he said, that's a vapor. It's a snare of death. Your motive, your means matter. Number five, you put God first in giving and he'll take care of the rest. So now go back to chapter three and verse nine. So look it, in the context, here it is. This is why I want you to see this. The big, the big picture is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your, straight, your path straight. How do you do that? Well, one of the ways, verse 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road, right? Honor. You know, it's the same word where we get the word glory. The root underneath that word is the idea of heaviness. In the 60s, you'd say something profound and we go, dude, that's heavy, right? Um, the idea is we have a word, kind of a Latin word we call gravitas, that, that it's a demonstration of the worth of something. And here, here uh, Solomon is saying, honor the Lord with your wealth. So this is, not, this is not a head nod. This is not God. Every day I sit down and when I, I eat a meal, I thank you because I know you provide for it. I hope you do that. But that's not what he's talking about. This word honor comes out of the context of, of actually the sacrifices in Israel. And you don't just pay honor to God. It's not this idea of, well, I just sort of, God, I honor you as being the one who given me wealth. No, he says you honor with your wealth. You see what I mean? This is you actually dig into your pocket and you give something. You do something with your money. You make some tangible expression of the glory and the weight and the gravitas of God through your giving. Do you do that? What does your wealth show how glorious? Like what, what, the, the way you use your money, I mean, what does it say about how glorious you think God is? Is he $5 glorious? Is he you sacrifice a Starbucks every couple of weeks? Is that the kind of glory he deserves from you? See, if if the way we show honor, and this is true, by the way, if my money and the way I spend tells me what I honor, tells you what I honor, what story does it tell? Like, and by the way, this isn't for all of you. Some of you, man, the story it tells is the evangelization of the world. The story it tells is, is the reaching of lost people. The story it tells is I want to do everything I can to see that the glory of God is spread throughout the whole earth, like the waters cover the sea. That that is some of you in this room. But what? What would it say we honor? What would your money say about what you honor? Like for some of you, it's a boat. The most glorious thing in my life, the most weighty thing, the thing with the most gravitas in my soul is a vacation home. Honor the Lord with your wealth. But but how do we do that? Look what he says. And with the first fruits of all your produce. So he's talking to an agrarian society. So, you know, whatever. I don't have a garden. I don't have an orchard. What does this mean? First fruits is this idea that you give to God, hear me, what Shane just said you give him off the top. You give him first priority. If you were an olive orchard grower, you would go out there, you'd pick the best of the crop, you'd go and you'd squeeze the most awesome extra virgin olive oil, and that would be part of your gift to what you'd give to the temple. That'd be part of your that'd be how you honor the Lord with your wealth. What does that mean for us in a in a money-based, a currency-based society? It means that I give to the Lord right off the top. Here's what I know. I'm like you. I, I, I'm not one of these people that go, you know what, money doesn't mean, mean anything to me. I've I got so much money, whatever. I spend what I want to. No, I literally have to budget out every single penny of my paycheck to make it do everything that it needs to do. That's probably most of us in this room. So here's what I do. I've got all these categories. Like I've got to fill these categories, and, 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 and it's got to be... and, and, and and I actually have what you have. Down at the bottom, there's these things that are like, if there's money left over, then I'll put some here. And guess what happens every pay period? Nothing's left over. <laughs> Ever. This is how most of you, a lot of you, I shouldn't say most, but lots of you honor God. God, I'll, I'll do all this. And if there's something, that's not first fruits. That's leftovers. That's God only gets something if I can. Not even, it's not even like, uh, wait a second, I've got all these debts. A lot of us, it's like, you know what, I've got this extra. But you know what, wait, wait, that means I can't have a Starbucks coffee. That means I can't buy that car. That means I can't live in that neighborhood. That means I probably can't go on that vacation. That probably means my kids can't go to that school. That probably means I've got to, you know, do some things for their college education, whatever. It's because I've put God first. There are sacrifices that I had to make. And that's what it means to honor the Lord. C.S. Lewis, look at what he said. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say that they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures exclude them. Is that true? Are there things you cannot afford because you've given God the first fruits? Or is it just, it's, it's just what leaves me still in a place of great comfort? That's not glory, that's not honor, that's not gravitas. Why would anybody live like that? Look at verse 9. Or verse 10. Then your barns will be plenty, will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Does this mean you're going to get rich? Does it mean you're going to get awesome? So I give. God just gives back. Well, I hope you know me, and I hope you know your Bible well enough to know absolutely not. That's not what it's saying. I love how Matthew Henry, a great Puritan, put this. Look at look at what he said. Do we have that? Tell me yes or no. Yes, he does not say. So he doesn't say he, your, your He doesn't say your bags will be full. He says your barns he doesn't say your wardrobe replenished, but your presses. God will bless you with an increase of that which is for use, not for show or ornament. For spending and laying out, not for hoarding and laying up. They that do good with what they have will have more to do good with. There you go. He's going to do more so that you can give out more. He's going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. This is the truth all through Scripture. Abraham, I will bless you and you'll be a blessing to the nations around you. This is the people of God. This is us modeling the heart of God, isn't it? God, you're so generous. You give and give and give. And by the way, God, you don't give leftovers. You give your firstborn. You give your prized possession. That's what he's saying to us. Because the last point is this, that there's something better than money. Skip down. I'll be brief in this. Skip down to verse 13 in chapter 3. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver, her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Nothing. Nothing. You understand there's no desire that you have in your life that if you truly knew wisdom that you would say there's, there, there, there's nothing that compares. There's just absolutely nothing that's better than this. You know why? Because wisdom, because, because, money will buy you a house. Wisdom will give you a home. Money can put beautiful, wonderful, ridiculous things on the table. Wisdom will give you fellowship and joy and friendship and love. Money will put gorgeous clothes on your back. Wisdom will clothe you in righteousness. You see, and if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul, the Bible says, what profit is that? See, there's a way that seems right to a man and in the end it leads to death. God is saying to you, man, let me step into this. How gracious, how merciful of a God to say, I want to, Chris, I want to step into the world of your finances. I want to step into all of your life, including your finances. Trust me. You can trust me. And the way that that trust starts is the day that I put my faith, my hope in Jesus Christ, in wisdom personified. I don't turn from a love of money until something bigger has come into my life. And that something bigger is Jesus Christ. You'll never be free from the love of money without the fear of God. And the fear of God is trusting in Jesus Christ for your, for your salvation. I hope you'll do that today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the wisdom that it gives to us. Thank you, God, that you are concerned. Lord, not not concerned because you're angry at us, but you're concerned because how many of us are inflicting ourselves with blows and wounds and grinding our teeth on gravel and and we're we're going through life on rocky, sharp-turning, confusing roads when you would say, let me step into your life. And God, that begins when we place our trust in Jesus Christ. And so I pray that would happen today. I pray there'd be people in this room right now who would say, man, I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of, of leaning on my own understanding, somehow thinking that that's gonna save me. Somehow thinking I can be good enough. And rather, I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart. Or let that happen today. <clears throat> let them turn from the pride of sin and rebellion And turn in faith to Jesus Christ. Trusting you. With all of our life. Knowing that you'll care for us. We love you God. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus name. Amen.